Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, and this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that again. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Yeah, it's been a while, everybody. You know, I had some things that I need to take care of, but we're back. And, you know, I thank you guys. I was, you know, looking at the numbers, the stats, or what have you, and we had a lot of activity while I was away. So thank you for listening. I appreciate you. New listeners, thank you. And, you know, get ready because next week, we start our two-week series, Black America, Raw Deal. is actually New Deal or Raw Deal. Black America, New Deal or Raw Deal. And it's going to be a two-part series. And we are going to talk about the New Deal um, and its effect on the black community. And, you know, talk about voting patterns, how it switched at that time, and um, you know, states' rights and a number of things we'll be talking about. So it's going to be interesting, but I'm also going to be talking about reconstruction, you know, throughout that as well, and talk about how, you know, we actually we were left out of reconstruction. And we're going to talk about homesteading and, you know, a number of different issues that will help us to understand where that wealth inequality gap came from. And why is such BS when you hear, you know, when you hear white people saying, well, my forefathers, they worked hard. No, we worked hard. (laughs) And they took the money. So there's a big difference between the two there. But we'll be talking about that a little bit later on. So, guys, like I said, you know, I missed you. There are you know, archives, if you guys ever get a chance, go back, take a look at the archives, and more than positive that you'll see some, you know, some things that you would find interesting, because I know I did a couple of series, but I did one that said makes me want to holler, and, you know, domestic terrorism, there are about two or three of those in there, just under different titles, but it's just interesting because we're back there again. So the name of today's show is Who Keeps Shaking the Nut Tree? And the byline on that is, you know, breaking news. Clown car crashed into the mixed nut tree. And so, you know, what I want to talk about is, number one, I want to make sure I clear this up first, that, you know, America keeps scapegoating people with mental illness, And that is wrong, you know, because according to the DSM, each and every last one of us has a problem. So, you know, you can't take all of that into accord. But, you know, it's just interesting about, you know, the ableism that we see in America and how wrong it is. And if you go back and you trace what has happened to the mentally ill in this country, it's criminal. Because what you're seeing now is you're seeing a lot of mentally ill people being put in jail. And that's one of the biggest problems that we have in Chicago over at Cook County Jail. 
it's basically it's turned into a psychiatric ward, if you will. And so when they had to find, you know, a new, you know, person to oversee Cook County, you know, Cook County Jail. I think I said hospital earlier. I apologize. I meant Cook County Jail. And they had to find someone to head it. And what happened was they went and they found a psychologist. And it's a black woman. So if you want to go and check that out, please do. But, yeah, you know, you know the Cook County Sheriff, he even talked about how this has become a problem and how the mentally ill are being jailed instead of being treated. And so, you know, we've seen all of these mass shootings and, you know, angry white men running around here and, you know, hurting other folks. And, you know, I posted an article earlier, um, about a few days ago, and it was talking about how the media humanizes white domestic terrorists and, you know, try to claim that these people are mentally ill or lone wolf or something to that effect. But when it's people of color, especially if it's black people, we are called thugs, terrorists, and all of these other things. And it's just, you know, it's mind-boggling. But one person, one white woman on one of the threads on my wall, and she said the reason why they do that is because, you know, when they see the white men or white women, you know, there's been a few occasions that it was women, and and, and they she said that when they see the white person, they try to identify with that person, and they can't make any sense of the situation, so that is why they say that the person had to have been mentally ill. But and and that's fine, you know. So at least we got you know someone to answer the question, and I appreciate it because it took a lot, you know, some courage to even put that there. And you know, I thank her for that, you know. But what's interesting is, you know, when I look at that answer, you know, it even further answers other questions that I had. Because they can identify with other white people, but they can't identify with black people. And this is what we mean when we say that, you know, um, that you can't see us. And one of the reasons why we complain when we start talking about the issues and what's hurting us and what's harming the community, that, you know, it seems as though it goes in one ear and not the other with, you know, white people or certain white people. But then you'll have the white person say, you know, the same exact thing, and then the white people understand it. And it's just amazing, absolutely amazing how, you know, that works there. And so, um, yeah, here's Raina. Raina's with us this morning. Hey, Raina. Well, we'll give her a few minutes, but, <laughs> you know, I just thought it was important hey, that, you know, we, hey, baby, and, you know, that we talk about these things and, you know, the the excuses that they're giving for, you know, these domestic and homegrown domestic terrorists is that it's mental illness and it's a cop-out. It's definitely, it's a cop-out. And, you know, we have to stop doing that. We can't, we can't, no. And they refuse to call these people domestic terrorists. And that's what I find interesting. You won't call somebody with an AK-47 or a Tech 9 or M16 
shooting down entire schools and movie theaters and churches. You won't call them domestic terrorists, but those of us who are out here that are activists, we're called domestic terrorists. How? I don't understand. And I don't think I'll ever understand that. You know, and if you go and you look at the statistics about this, you know, um, <laughs> you have a better chance of being killed by a domestic terrorist than some type of terrorist Muslim. I think seven times, you're seven times more likely to be killed by an angry white person than the so-called terrorist Muslims. Well, that's always been true in the black community. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and it, it's just it's absolutely amazing. I mean, over in Ohio, this barber finally got up the courage to confront this white dude that was walking around in black neighborhoods patrolling it with a gun. You know, and... This has been happening all over the country. So let's not get that twisted. That didn't just happen in Ohio. You know, there were, you know there have been numerous news stories, but there has also been a media blackout of a lot of these things as well. And when I say a media blackout, what I mean by that is that they're just not reporting it. It's not that they don't know. It's just that it's so far down on their list of priorities you know, it was, you know, more of a priority to find out what, you know, the Kardashians and Kanye named that baby, that new baby. And I just think it's sad. It's sad. You know, we're dealing with all of this here. And, you know, I have to go on and put it out there because there's really no way to kind of get around this. But some of the, you know, domestic terrorist attacks that we see are by extreme Christians. You know, and far-right Republicans or far-right white men. I guess that's the best way to put it. And, you know, something has to be done. And so it's turned into this debate, you know, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I just wanted to let people know we have to stop allowing them to scapegoat the mentally ill in this country. Because if you go back and you look and you see, you see that they're cutting, you know, funding for mental health, you know, care. And they're cutting it at the federal level. They're cutting it at the state level. Even, you know, with the cities and the villages and the towns, you know, they're cutting it locally. And so while you have people out here, you know, crying out, saying that it's mental health issues, at the same time, the politicians that you vote for over and over, they're cutting the funding. They're closing down mental health care facilities. Uh, in Chicago here, you know, there have been protests, you know, about the closing down of these facilities and the cutting of the funding and the budgets. And yet we're seeing an increase in domestic terrorism that they want to attribute to mental health care. So, or mental illness. So if, if, if all of these, you know, quote-unquote problems are because of mental health care, then how can the people you vote into office, how can they justify, you know, cutting these budgets and the money? And then how can you justify voting for them? 
time after time. And, you know, and I'm talking to all communities. We got some of the same issues on our end. And uh, <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we have to talk about this. We're going to have to talk about it. But you go back, all the way back to Ronald Reagan, and what he did was, you know, a lot of the asylums and hospitals and wards that were housing these people, many of them let them go. And they were out on the streets. And at that time, we had a lot of transient, you know, hotels and apartments that they could rent so that, you know, they can try to adjust. But with Ronald Reagan, a lot of those hotels are torn down and, you know, a lot of people, I mean, it was just a lot of complications. So what's happening is you have, you know, people that have mental health issues wandering and wandering the streets homeless. And when something happens, then they put them in jail, which creates an even, you know, an, an even more dire situation because that's not where they need to be. They need to be treated. They need to be in a facility. They need to have group therapy, a number of things. So anyway, you know, I wanted to make sure I started the show um, talking about that because it's just a number of things happening. If you go and you look at the pictures that I have as part of the slideshow for the show, um, you will see that it's a picture of, well, it's a caricature of Donald Trump and, you know, in clown face, if you will, barking at the other Republican candidates. And so one of the things that I wanted to say is, you know, what we see transpiring right now in the political world is Donald Trump is basically the ringmaster. And he's out there saying these horrible, horrible things about everybody. <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting here, and the angrier and the nastier he gets, the higher his numbers are in the poll. And But see, that's not even the headline. The headline is the other Republicans are falling in place and following him. And after he says it, then they'll say it. And so they're copycatting him. And I'm looking at people, I'm like, are you seeing this? Because what's so interesting is <laughs> even when they had the last presidential, um, you know, run, and Barack Obama got up there and he sang a song, and then next thing we know, Herman Cain is up there singing. Mitt Romney tried it. And I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this, and it has people like me scratching my head. And I'm like, really? So I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we're going to see Ben Carson up there singing, you know, Stroking by Clarence Carter. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> more than you know, likely he'll sing a hymn. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> An old Negro spiritual, right? You know, because, you know, um, especially if they go out on one of their spa days. I don't know if you've seen the the portrait of Ben Carson and uh, and Jesus. Jesus. Have you seen that picture? Black Jesus. Black Jesus. <laughs> I don't even know if it's Black Jesus. He looks like Puerto Rican Jesus to me, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no. They, they stole that from the Evans family, okay? Mm-hmm. I wonder whatever mm-hmm. happened to that picture. JJ painted anyway. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say. But, I was gonna say. Um, if you look at the picture, though, it looks like they're both wearing bathrobes. 
so they look like they're taking yeah. a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so they got their group on on when they got that little buy one get one free at the spa. You know, yeah. that's what I need right about now. Man, Brenda, why you bring that up? So I don't... <laughs> but, you know, that's what's happening. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that I started the show out, you know, with that little disclaimer and, you know, trying to bring some understanding to the situation and basically, you know, saying that we should not allow any of these people to to scapegoat the mentally ill to justify the behavior of, you know, these homegrown terrorists. They're domestic terrorists. And what's interesting is the situation that we just saw in San Bernardino. They quickly, you know, called Saeed a domestic, well, a terrorist. I don't even think he gets domestic. I haven't seen domestic yet, but he gets the terrorist. But, you know, they don't call any of the other people. And it's just, I don't know what to say. I mean, you know, Raina, what, what's your take on this? Uh, I honestly, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it, it does, it is um, somewhat disconcerting um, how quickly they are to, um, how quick they are to basically um, write this person off as, um, you know, as a foreign-born terrorist or somehow non-American because he happens to be Muslim and he committed this act. You know what I mean? This is right. obvious domestic terrorism and um you know it's but they're so they're so slow to call other acts of violence domestic terrorism so it's it, it seems to me that the um the the criteria for calling an event terrorism is whether or not the subject in question is brown right exactly exactly and what i don't understand and i know i keep harping on this but I, I just can't let it go. How are protesters domestic terrorists? And see, what happened is, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about the history. I've talked about this extensively. But this started with Occupy Wall Street. That is when they started calling, you know, activists and protesters domestic terrorists. And so, you know, it's interesting because I always talk about you know, there are patterns to this. And one of the things that happened, you know, even during the, you know, 60s and 70s, black power, civil rights movement, they were labeled as being, well, many of them, you know, when they were pulled into jail and, you know, diagnosed, they were being diagnosed as mentally ill. And, um, yeah, they basically, yes, schizophrenic. And there is a book called The Protest Psychosis. And I've leafed through it. I really do need to read it. I really want to read it. But whenever you start seeing, you know, any type of um, activists or protesters up there demanding, you know, for racial parity or, you know, um, feminism or, you know, just a number of different things, they're called domestic terrorists. And I didn't think about this until right now. Did they call the white gay activists domestic terrorists? I got to find my notepad so I can write that down. I got to look that up because I don't think so. You know, you all know how I am. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, but I've got to put here LGBTQ activists, you know, and this is how I get some, you know, ideas for the show because, you know, you start talking about these things and as, you know, you discuss it with other people, you know, things just start popping in your head, things that, you know, makes you go, hmm, you know, thank you, Arsenio. So it's just, it's quite interesting, but, yeah, we have to be careful about that. But, you know, I'm going to use that as a segue into the Black Lives Matter movement and what happened in Minneapolis. Five of the activists were shot. And so, you know, there have been some, you know, pushback on all of that, and four men were charged. So, but what was happening is basically you have these four men, and what they claim, you know, one of the claims that they're making is that the Black Lives Matter quote-unquote mob was chasing them. And we all know that that's bullshit. And so, you know, it's just, let's, let me read their names. You know, let me, you know, these four domestic terrorists that are terrorizing, well, that terrorized the BLM people in Minnesota. Alan Scarcella, Joseph Backman, Nathan Gustafson, or Gustavson, and Daniel Macy, you know. And apparently the authorities checked their computer records, their phone records, and they were texting each other information about where to meet. And I'm just sitting here, and, and the men are saying that, you know, they were defending themselves. And so, <laughs> you know, um, is the whole thing, it just reeks. Because even the activists, you know, they're not dissuaded. And this is not going to stop this movement. But what I'm saying is, is that many of us are becoming sitting ducks, and the movement is being scapegoated. And it's not just the Black Lives Movement. There are a number of, you know, grassroots movements happening around this country, and I need for people to understand that. And anytime anything happens, it is, you know, in a negative way, they are pinning it or attributing it to Black Lives Matter, which is not always the case. Right. And so we have to be careful with that. We have to be careful, and we have to call it out and challenge it. So when someone says, well, it was part of the Black Lives Matter, you know, protest, we have to ask them, how do you know? Did they say that they represented Black Lives Matter? So, you know, because, again, there are a number of movements, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few minutes, but it's important because, you know, we're sitting ducks because even the domestic terrorists that shot up that Planned Parenthood, he was saying that, this country, you know, is is basically going to hell because of the Black Lives Matter movement and the liberal politics. And so you're starting to hear that. You talking about the one who shot up Planned Parenthood or, the, or, or one of the other ones? I thought I said Planned Parenthood. What did I say? 
Okay, I was just making sure. I, I, oh, I wasn't oh, sure. No, no, I no, heard you know how you you know how I am. So you know, this is the first show back. So you know, I'm expecting you know to have some of my moments. You know how that goes. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, the Planned Parenthood when he went in there and shot it up, and you know, again, you know, before he even you know made it, you know, he made some comments about Black Lives Matter and liberal politics in this country. He made comments towards, you know, dead baby parts, which comes from the Republican platform, you know, their talking points over there. And so well, it, comes, be- it comes from that, that, edit, that, you know, that purposefully edited video of that dinner. Right. Yeah, that, that was had exactly. with some Planned Parenthood representatives. But, yeah, that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then Carly, Carla, yeah, Carly Fiorina, Fiorina whatever her name is. Um, you know, yeah, during the debate, you know, she kept talking about dead baby parts, and then the other Republicans started following her and, and saying the same thing. And so it's just, it's amazing. But we cannot allow black activists and protesters to be scapegoated, right. you know, and and that's happening. You know, you have places like Fox News and you know, Bill O'Reilly and the crew and other right-wing shows, you know, calling Black Lives Matter a terrorist group. Right. And so, you know, that's why it's incumbent upon you guys to go out here and read and make yourselves familiar with what's happening because history is repeating itself. This is what happened then. And Mm -hmm. I've been telling you guys, I've been talking about this since 2011. Because I saw this coming, and I see other things that are getting ready to come down the line. And all I have to say is that you need to be prepared because it's not going to get prettier. It's going to get actually quite a bit more complex. But, guys, so like I'm saying, um, those five young people that were, you know, shot in Minnesota, in all of the, you know, all of the acts of terrorism that have happened across this country, you know, it's been over 355 since January 1 of this year. Mm-hmm. You know, that's more than one a day. And so, you know, what I want to do right now is I definitely want to send out condolences to their family and friends and, you know, the people that have been directly and and indirectly affected by this. Because, you know, we're starting to see these stories more and more. We're becoming desensitized. Mm -hmm. And that's dangerous, too, because we can't allow these occurrences to become normal, to become a part of our everyday lives. So this is going to force us to have these conversations, not only about gun control, but we still need to have that conversation about, you know, mental health care, but not in the sense that we're blaming mental health care or mental illness on all of these acts. It's not. And so that's why, you know, that needs to be a separate conversation. When we talk about these domestic terrorist acts, we need to be talking about racism. We need to talk about sexism you know, and a number of other isms and phobias, you know, because that's what it's pretty much about. 
And so I just wanted to make sure because I just I just think that it's important that we recognize that. But yes, we need to talk about you know mental health care, but we need to talk about that from you know a more organic standpoint and start holding these politicians accountable for cutting all the funding. You know, and then scapegoating, you know, the very programs, you know, that they cut. So I'm not understanding it. People aren't questioning questioning these things, and they're not talking about it as much as they should. So when you hear them saying that these shootings are mental illness, it's a lie. It's a lie. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we got to talk about race. We got to talk about guns. We got to talk about hatred. We have to talk about terrorism. You know, we have to talk about mental illness, too. But not from the standpoint that all of these acts are because of mental illness. That's not true. That's a lie. You know, we, we need to have a talk about the, you know, the redefining of masculinity in America. That's part of the problem too. Well, I think you better. I think you better. I think you better say uh, what your perspective oh. is on that because there's a lot of people who are going to be like, "Yeah, I agree with you," but they're going to have a very different perspective on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me put this word in front of it: toxic masculinity. Okay, <laughs> you know. I don't think that's going to help, honey. You got to. You got to. <laughs> Okay. All right. Let me tell you what masculinity ain't. It ain't about you grabbing your woman's hair and dragging her with your big, big bat, you know, (laughs) and making her go cook and have a bunch of babies. That's not masculinity. So, you know. I don't think that's going to cut it. So, I think what I think uh-huh. I think I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what I'm, where I'm coming from. So um, there is a lot of people in this in this country, um, particularly um, these white um, right wing, um, you know, talk show hosts, um, and mm-hmm. and a lot of frankly um, patriarchal black men, um, you know, men speakers like Umar Johnson and um, you know the Nation of Islam, and I think um, what Farrakhan's daughter brought this up during the um <clears throat> during the uh, million man march um that just happened you know the um the march justice, justice or else yeah justice yeah. or else um she was saying that um black black women have replaced black men and um that women have replaced men and that in in the white man society that women are allowed to be at the head and all of that type of thing um, there is a a feeling amongst a lot of men in general that women have um, taken their rightful place and that um, women are becoming men or um, you know less feminine that they should be at uh, that men should be the providers that men should um, run the home or or to make decisions for the home and that women should be more submissive and um, you know have their concerns mostly, um, you know, uh, relegated to the, uh, to the home, you know, mm-hmm. to the domestic sphere. And um, exactly. there's a lot of people who feel that way. And so when you say 
that we need to redefine masculinity. <laughs> you're you're going to attract a lot of people who have that perspective unless you are uh, specific because um, there's a lot of men out there who think that um that the the fact that there that there are more people who can come out now who there that that we have gay marriage or whatever has um you know redefined masculinity in to into them a negative way um you know the idea that men can you know um vary their gender representation um or what have you to them is a negative right. thing and to me it's it's a it's a positive thing um so right to be very clear, right? Exactly. Redefine masculinity. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, so you know what I want to talk about. In addition to you know redefining, I'm mean, like, who gets to define it? Who gets to decide that whatever definition is the one? You know, because it's just it's you know a little perplexing. People are going to be themselves. Just allow them to be their authentic selves. Period. You know, and and the definition of masculinity in this country, the one that I grew up with, and I'm pretty sure, you know, many of you grew up with the same definition, but it's very patriarchal in nature. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> and so, no, Raina, I hear where you're coming from. Yeah, we have to be more specific when we talk about that. But I guess, you know, what I'm saying is, you know, why does there need to be a specific definition for it? You know, um, those who consider themselves masculine, why can't they identify and define themselves? You always have people saying, be you, be the real you, and then when some people are the real them, you have a problem with it. I don't get it. Because it's not, it's about being the real you within certain, you know, stringent confines. Right. Right. So... There you go, people. Something for you to look up, something for you to think about, you know, chew on that for a little bit because that's a whole show, you know, by itself, you know, talking about masculinity and, like Raina said, you know, the very strict confines of the definition. They want to put you in this box. You know, there are different categories in a box, but it must be one of those categories that they have, you know, predefined for us. Mm-hmm. So, again, you know, look that up. And like I said, you know, for the five young people that were shot in Minneapolis, you know, we stand behind you, you know, reach out. Whatever you need, we'll make sure you get it and pass the information around. And so since I'm talking about Black Lives Matter activists, I'm going to kind of tie it into something else. And I didn't put this um, as part of the description because I wasn't sure if I really wanted to talk about it, but I do. So um, a few minutes ago when I was talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and other grassroots movements and how – is starting to become very convoluted and ambiguous in certain areas. So I'm going to tell you about a situation that I witnessed firsthand in Chicago that um, that it concerned me. And for those that have been listening for a long time or a good friend like Raina, 
you know, I keep a lot of stuff to myself. And even when I'm conflicted, because I remember saying that on the last show, that I was conflicted, and then things that I've seen since then, I'm even more conflicted. And so what happened was during Black Friday with the protests downtown Chicago, so um, I was there for one of those days, right? And it actually was the first day. And so I just kind of wanted to see what was happening. And so one of the things that I saw was you had all of these different groups and the media, you know, they flocked over to Jesse Jackson and his group of protesters. And then you had the Black Lives Matter protesters in particular. I saw a lot of the young people from Black Youth Project 100. And, you know, I'm kind of familiar with them now. I've, you know, been, hell, I rode on a bus with them to Cleveland. And so they're a wonderful, wonderful group of young people, extremely intelligent, you know, being their authentic selves. And I was sitting there laughing because if you would have heard some of those conversations, I was like, ooh. And And I loved it. I loved it. They're being themselves. And, you know, the things that they were talking about and discussing, you know, that was missing when I was their age. So I'm sitting there, and I was like, I wish I was as free as they are or as free as, you know, when I was their age. But, you know, it's refreshing, and I love it. And so, you know, you have that group of people. So the Black Lives Matter people and, you know, the Black Youth Project 100. And then you had other, you know, grassroots orgs out there. And so it turned into a, quote, situation, end quote, whereas basically Jesse Jackson and his group, they were blocked out because I'm not sure if you all have noticed this, but you know, many of the young people today will not allow Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and people from that particular era, the old civil rights vanguard, if you will. They, you know, you know, the young people today, they're taking a different twist on these things, and they're taking, you know, over and kind of blocking them out, which I agree with. However... There was some conflict because there was a group there, one of the grassroots organizations that I won't name because I don't want to give them any real publicity, but um, they were trying to push the Black Lives Matter people to the back and trying to force them to the back. Now, this group was a group of men, and their concern were black men and boys, period. You know, and that was that's part of their name. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching this. And, again, I've stated, you know, all black lives matter. And you have these groups here that are focusing solely on black men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this is my thing. If you are not upholding and marching for black women and girls, you're not pro-black, like you said. 
if you're not marching for and advocating for black LGBTQ, then you're not pro-black. And there are a number of other, you know, categories I can include in that. And so, you know, when I saw that and, you know, they were trying to block the BLM people and put that black male group at the forefront, I was very disturbed, extremely upset. And, you know, it was at that time that I knew I had to go, so I Ubered a car and went back home. But, um, you know, sitting there and watching this and seeing what's happening, um, it's very disconcerting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's interesting is the black the black male group in particular, you know, when when they were talking to the media and talking amongst each other and you know, they basically said that they were pushing Black Lives Matter to the back because, you know, they're too liberal and they have this pro gay agenda and you guys, you know what direction we're going in here with this conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and then they were saying that, you know, you know, they were too liberal and, you know, um, the black women should not be leading movements. And, I mean, it was just a number of things that they said that were problematic. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching it and I'm just absolutely stunned. Done and the it way that things, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it wasn't surprising, but the fact of how they were pushing on those young people, young men, young women, and you know even some of the you know um, activists that were a little bit, we'll just say they have saged wisdom, and you know they were pushing them, and it was just, it, it doesn't have to be that way, and. These are some of the same people that I see coming sideways at, you know, the Black Lives Matter co-founders and other people, you know, saying that they need to focus more on black men and black male issues. And then after we resolve the black male issues, then we'll deal with black women, and they don't want to deal with black LGBTQ at all, you know, but they won't say that. What they'll do is be quiet. (laughs) And so... You see all of this happening, and so you kind of, you know, I'm looking at it from a number of different perspectives, but regardless of what perspective, it's still quite disturbing, and we're going to have to deal with it and talk to one another and not yell at one another. But, yeah, you know, in Chicago, we had the protests um, because not only because, you know, shit is just fucked up, but because of the Laquan McDonald video and, you know, we still are trying to get them to release the video of Ronnie Mann and a number of other, you know, um, young black people that were, you know, killed in Chicago. And what's interesting is now with the Laquan McDonald um, video, you know, the police reports are not reconciling with what we see on the video because Van Dyke, you know, the guy that's being indicted on first degree murder, um he man, he said that Laquan was coming at him with a knife and he feared for his life. But I'm sorry, when I saw that video it looked like Laquan was, you know, kinda walking away from them. 
walk mm-hmm. away at an angle. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's no way possible and that he feared for his life. So you fear somebody walking away from you. So was was the fear because you said stop and he wouldn't stop? I, I mean, I don't understand. Right. And so, you know, again, we have the controversy with the erasure of video, you know, not only from their cameras, but they went into the Burger King. Mm-hmm. And so there is supposedly some audio somewhere that somebody caught. So, you know, I haven't really had a chance because, I mean, honestly, you guys, I'm tired. I'm tired. You know, every day, you know, you wake up and it's a new story, whether it's some, you know, a black person, male, female, child, adult, what have you. Every day, you know, there are at least one or two stories about black or brown and even red. I have to include them because... You know, truth be told, what's happening with the Native Americans, that's worse than what we're getting. And they're not getting a lot of media. But it doesn't matter because this is not a race. It's it's, it's horrible across the board. And this should not be happening to anybody in any community. But every day, I'm waking up and, you know, there's more stories about, you know, black people being killed in the street by state violence. You know, and if it's not that, I'm waking up to the television telling me that there was another mass shooting. Mm-hmm. What a horrible thing to wake up to every mm-hmm. damn day. And not just every that, day. but, like, you also, you also uh, wake up to the television or some radio person trying to convince you that the issues of Black Lives Matter um, – the Black Lives Matter movement brings up are not um, as relevant as the terrorism that our country faces. But for for Black people, um, that te- the terrorism from the state is way more concerning than the terrorism that we face from ISIS or, you know, any other mm-hmm. organization. That's way more concerning to us, you know. Exactly. For most of us. Exactly. You know. Right. And, you know, we can tie that in to another part, you know, you know, to the show here. You know, they're talking about, you know, the Muslims and ISIS and Al-Qaeda, but no one's talking about how we created ISIS and Al-Qaeda and how some of the people that are out here, um, you know, committing these atrocities, they were once children when we were bombing their country. What the hell did you expect them to do? Right. They're angry. You killed their parents. You know, you killed their brothers and sisters. Hell, they may be, you know, they may have lost a lot. I mean, we don't know what the hell is going on over there. Yeah, I was, um, the I was news, listening to some Democracy Now! stories, mm-hmm. and they were um, mm-hmm. they were sharing testimony from, um, you know, from people whose um, family members or, um, or who themselves were involved in um, – and drone strikes, and they actually had some interviews, some really good interviews with some um, what they call sensor operators. Um, Mm -hmm. So one of the stories from um, one of the people that um, testified about his um, experience with drone strikes, he said that he was gardening with his grandmother and um, because they, you know, they had to, you know, they were subsistence farmers. They weren't like wholesale, you know, like commercial farmers. They, um, right. She were planting in her garden, and he said he saw a drone um, 
take her out. Like one minute she was gardening and the next minute she wasn't there. Wow. Um, there was another, wow. there was another um, a, a testimony I heard from a sensor operator where he was saying um, that when he was, um, when he was engaging in drone strikes and they would see children he would he was told or, or they were they were encouraged to think of those children not as children but as fun-sized terrorists mm. and that's how fun-sized they see our children too terrorists. right and it's like so they're dehumanizing the children um and just like they're dehumanizing the adults but it has sort of a more sinister dimension, right? I mean, right. they're, I mean, because a lot of these children that they're killing, I mean, these are not, like, not to say that the children in the madrasas are, are less um, worth protection, right? But they're talking mm-hmm. about, he was talking about in the context of, like, a village where there was also some terrorists living. Right. But they were referring to these kids as, like, fun-sized terrorists. I mean, and just the sort of horrific stories of um of the of these drone operators is just really I mean it's really heartbreaking and to think about like the trauma that they've gone through and you know there's a there's a really interesting conversation that it brings up about video gaming and violence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you know not it's not a conversation that a lot of people like to have cuz they like to play their video games and no one's saying that you can't like games um but you know, even um, one of the sensor operators was saying that he loves games and he loves gaming. But his experience as a sensor operator has made him uh, has made it so that he can't play certain games. You know, oh, any longer. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, and that's horrible. You know, looking at them as fun sized targets. That's what. And the thing is, is that they've done the same thing to black, brown, and red children in this country. And our, you know, because we've talked about this, how our children are not allowed to be children, that mm-hmm. they are seen as adults, you know, and and at much younger. I don't ages. know. Yeah. 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 You know, and it's just like I said, it's horrible. It's a horrible situation. You've seen the backlash about the Syrian refugees. The ten, I think it's ten thousand that President Obama is trying to bring to America. And you have all of these governors lining up saying, not here, like they have a choice. But, you know, it's interesting because they're doing the same thing. We have a lot of, you know, immigrants coming up from South America, particularly Honduras, you know, coming into this country. There were a few Syrian um, refugees that walked up to Border Patrol and turned themselves in, saying that, you know, they're political, you know, um, refugees and they wanted to be in I mean, just the news stories and especially the Islamophobia. You know mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I just find it very um like I said, it's disturbing. Because I thought this was a country of immigrants. But I guess we're only accepting of certain in immigrants. So that's you always know, certain case. <laughs> Exactly, and that's why I laugh because, you know, people get a little upset with me when I start calling them ethnic whites. I'm like, but that's what you are, but you, you know, but it's just, you know, it's it's interesting, and I've talked about that extensively. Go and listen to the White Identity Politics show, um, and so 
it's just interesting how they don't want these these um, refugees or immigrants here. But certain ones, you know, you see planefuls of people coming from Poland and Ireland and all of those places. Like I said, the only real recognized white people are white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. Those are Germans. Those are, you know, people from England and Western Europe. That's it. Everybody else that's part of that white crew, you're ethnic white. You're lower on the pole. You know, there's a hierarchy to that. And so, you know, again, I'm just laughing because, you know, at that time, you know, I was a little under the weather, if you will, and I did not go on Facebook on purpose because I know I would have unfriended at least, you know, a couple of hundred people with that Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because it was it was horrible. And what I find interesting in the secular, atheist, free thought, humanist, whatever community, is these are some of the same people who jump in our faces and say all lives matter. Every mm-hmm. time every time I you know, we'll say something or post something about Black Lives Matter and you know, I'll I'll even see people posting things about, you know, Native Lives Matter, Latino Lives Matter, you know, but you always have one special person that wants to come in. It doesn't happen often because the other white people see see what happens to these folks when they come in with their all lives matter. And it's not just this community, I mean it's it's been happening across the board in America just watching the Islamophobia. And these are the same people who are out here saying all lives matter, but that's not true. All the lives that you deem as important matter. Right. So, you know, that doesn't include Muslims. It doesn't include so-called thugs and terrorists, and those, for the most part, in your eyes, are black and brown people. Mm-hmm. It doesn't include poor people. Because they hate poor people across the board. Mm-hmm. So when you say all lives matter and I start laughing, that is why. Because right. you don't really believe all lives matter. Only lives that matter are the ones that you deem as important. Yep. And so we got to start calling this out even more. You know, it's, Raina. You know, give us some words, Raina. Give us, give us some words. Um, um, hi. No. <laughs> I mean, no. You pretty much had you basically hit it on the nose. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's, um, there's a hypocrisy to people who use that all lives matter crap to hide behind Um, a deep, deep hypocrisy um, that reveals itself when people of color are facing state violence or, um, or, or or when people of color have been um, mistreated by the system in some way. Right. Um, These things just don't matter as much as a hypocrisy to how we all treat instances of violence committed by white males um, in in these uh, domestic terrorist incidents and the terrorism that we face from um, 
you know, from a handful, relatively speaking, of, um, of you know, Muslim extremists. You know, there's a hypocrisy in the way that we treat the violence from groups like ISIS and the sort of terrorism that is inflicted by the United States abroad. You know? Exactly. 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 And, you know, I just find it interesting how that definition is fluid. (laughs) You know, some kind of way. It has to be. Well, um, yeah, exactly. It has to be. But, you know, it never seems to touch white people. I mean, did they even consider Ted Kaczynski? Was he considered a domestic terrorist? In my eyes, yes. Yeah, but I don't believe that's how he was portrayed by the media. Go ahead. But remember, but remember, part of part of what's also going on now too goes back to something that happened really early in the Obama in the Obama administration. Remember um, that when the IRS and um, was investigating right wing right wing groups oh, yeah. in the country, mm-hmm. and the Republicans shut all that down. You know, exactly. Because Exactly. Because I mean, while I while it's probably true that you know maybe one or two of these incidents are maybe lone wolf incidences uh, incidents, I don't really think that they're truly um, lone wolf instances instances even in the cases where only one person has acted by themselves. I mean, there's still right. a problem um, that we have with these right wing extremist groups in our country, you know, disseminating inform- um, incorrect information. Um, in terms of like Planned Parenthood and and um, reproductive rights, um, distributing false information about uh, Latin Latino immigrants or Hispanic immigrants and um, and blacks, um, as well as mm-hmm. you know of course now Asians and now we have you know like this living embodiment of like every like right wing activist fly- flyer that's ever been created and in terms of um, your boy uh, Donald Trump, you know. He's basically right. like a walking, like a walking pamphlet on like every form right. of right, you know, hysteria that exists, you know. Right. Um, I mean, the only thing that he hasn't, I mean, so far, well, no, he's not every embodiment because if he was every embodiment, he would sound a lot more like Alex Jones, and he sounds and he oh. sounds a lot less like Alex Jones than he does Rush Limbaugh, you know. Right. So right, if he added a few more types of right wing hysteria to his to his rhetoric, he would sound a lot more like Alex Jones. <laughs> right, right. Because as soon as you said Alex Jones, my flags went up. Like, oh no, not him! <laughs> you know, because that yeah, guy added just a few more to his to his you know his <laughs> his uh, list of of topics, and he would be Alex Jones. But yeah, no, he's um. You know, this is just the, this is the country that we live in. I mean, there's a lot of people who are very, very scared that um, that people of color are going to be represented um, more than they are. You know, and, right? Uh, and the, and they're acting out right now. You know, exactly. And and you know, this is something that we both have said on this show about um, just okay. It all goes down to a certain degree, white privilege and white supremacy. And when certain white people feel as though they don't have the same privileges and liberties that they have become accustomed to, 
that they're losing a little bit and some of the focus is on other groups, then they get angry and upset, especially if they lose, you know, because you hear people in the, in, the, in the secular community saying, oh, this oppression thing really sucks, you know, mm-hmm. you know and, 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 and this is happening across the board. And so if you think that little thing that you have sucks, imagine when you have to carry the whole damn mountain which is what we're doing. Now, that sucks. I always said I wished I could turn white people black for a year. And Travis, he said, that's me and Kim. They they wouldn't make it a year. And he was like, maybe a week. And I was like, no, let them deal with this for a year and see how they feel. You know, do I still think any changes would be made? No, because they know they're going back to what they were. So I don't know, you guys. I'm just sitting here. And I'm looking at what's happening in this country, and like Rana, Rana, Raina was saying, <laughs> um, yeah, you know, <laughs> Raina was saying about Donald Trump, and you know he's leading the damn parade, and he's telling these other Republicans what to say and what to do. He's establishing the talking points, while the rest of us are at home. Absolutely amazed. At first, it was funny, but it stopped being funny a long damn time ago. I wasn't. Look, let me tell you, it might have been funny to (laughs) y'all. It was never funny to me. It was never funny to me. It was like at first. I mean, at at the very first sign when he when he got into the race, I thought, oh, this is a joke. He'll be out of it shortly. And then right, exactly. Within a, but, but within a week, I changed my tune real fast. I was like, okay, this is really scary. You know what I mean? Because I, right. I started hearing the things that he was saying. And the things that he was saying are things that a lot of people are already thinking. But at first, when he got into the race, I hadn't known anything that he was saying. And I'm, of course, I'm in school right now. So I don't, I don't, uh, listen to the news as often or read the news as often um, as I ordinarily would like to. But as I started to hear the things that he was saying, I said, oh, yeah, he's going to win. And it's going to be real scary out here. Mm-hmm. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I'm looking at all of this. And, I mean, even with, you know, what has transpired in the past couple of weeks, you know, I'm just looking at the conversations, and the Democrats are talking about gun control, and the Republicans are talking about prayer. And so I'm like, I'm missing something here. You know, we're both looking at what just happened and two totally different conversations. But um, with that Donald Trump thing, that is very troubling, you guys. It's problematic. Mm-hmm. And, oof. Please go get registered to vote and then go do it. If we have to organize carpools, I I have no problem doing that. But I don't want to vote for Hillary. (laughs) Well, I mean, she's not my choice either. You know, I mean, you know, Donald Trump, if he doesn't win the Republican, he said he's going to run independently. And so part of me is hoping that he doesn't get the I hope he does that. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it would be. Because if he did that, exactly. he did that, he would split the vote over there on exactly. the Republican side. Yeah. Exactly, which is what I want, too. You know, but then we got Hillary, and that's a whole different set of issues. 
you know, mm-hmm. my thing is is that I see them, you know, interviewing her and she gives her stump speeches or what have you. What I want to know is she's going to fix all the bullshit her husband broke. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to know. Well, not with those Republicans in there. So, no. Nah. And that that's, ain't that's why we got to vote midterm, too. You got to vote midterm. You know, I'm willing to do some carpooling. You know, mm-hmm. hell, I'll go and rent a damn truck that day. And get you out to the damn polls. Mm-hmm. Go vote. Go vote. Let me know if you need a ride. You know, as a matter of fact, I think Uber offers free rides to the polling place during the election. I have to find out and, and get that information. That would be and if that's Yeah, you know, if, if they offer that, I'm going, man, I'm going to post that shit everywhere. There's no reason for you not to go vote. You got a free ride. Mm-hmm. And then they'll come pick you up. And if you need to be dropped off at the train station or at the job, I'm sure they wouldn't have a problem doing that. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just a one-way trip. So, you know, save your money anyway just in case. But, you know, what I'm saying is go go register and then go out there and do it. And also, please stop avoiding jury duty. So I I don't know where that came from, but I just had to say that usually when you register to vote, you know, that's when your name is put on that list for jury duty. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, different things. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the abortion clinics and and the Planned Parenthood attacks because there have been a lot of attacks on Planned Parenthood, not just this past you know, mass shooting, but, you know, you've had other incidents. You know, it was one incident in New Hampshire, at a New Hampshire Planned Parenthood. They were attacked twice. The second yeah. time was by a young young white boy um, with a hatchet. Right. And well, so, there was um, there's a there's a clinic here in Baltimore, uh, in Baltimore that um, where there the one of the physicians actually had pictures of her daughter you know, a child posted mm-hmm. on one of these anti-abortion websites. I mean, it just goes to show you, you know, just how um, how hypocritical these people are. You know, here they are supposed to be fighting for the, for the rights of, of children, right, the unborn, right, according to their, mm-hmm. you know, their rhetoric. And here they are basically threatening a child. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and, you know, the whole thing is just is horrible. And there have been abortion clinics, you know, firebombed, and, you know, the media is not talking about that. You know, um, in Planned Parenthood, they've been set on fire, too. And we know what's happening with some black churches, you know, being set on fire. And I'm not understanding why these things aren't being, you know, um telecast, I guess, you know, on the, in the media. They're not talking about it. But um, I think the New York Times has a database of all of the mass shootings in this country for several years. I have to go back. I have to think about where I saw that story. I'll post the story, and you can get the information. I have to remember. I can't remember right now. But, um, you know, a lot of this is happening, and this is why we tell people to go out and read the news I mean, just go and Google some things. You know, if you put down, you know, um, Google, like, 
um, abortion clinic arson or something like that, you'll come up with a lot of this information as to what's happening. But, yeah, the abortion clinics, you know, themselves, they're being firebombed. We've already seen how, you know, some of the doctors that work in these clinics, how they've been shot dead, you -hmm. know, and it doesn't matter if, you know, there are perimeters and you have to stay at least eight feet away. We still have people escorting, you know, women to these, you know, clinics, and these are acts of domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. And even that, you know, white man that was patrolling the neighborhoods in Ohio, and again, it's not just Ohio. This has been happening across the United States. When you have white people marching around black neighborhoods with semi-automatic and automatic weapons, that is an act of domestic terrorism. Mm-hmm. I don't care how they define it. Let me do that shit. Mm-hmm. Let me. I, I live Wouldn't two work blocks out too away. Well right. Mm-hmm. You know, I live two blocks away from one of the wealthiest communities in Chicago. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. They will take you out quickly. Mm-hmm. And so. Um is <laughs> is is interesting. Is you know, it's more than interesting, is is actually a shame. And the United States is, you know, being laughed at by other countries. I mean, you know, I've read several articles, heard some you know, watched some videos about how people in other countries are viewing our presidential race and they think it's a joke, especially with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, he's been the one getting the majority of the media. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, have you noticed, well, I know Raina's time is limited, but I've seen less and less press coverage of Ben Carson for the past couple of weeks. Well, you know, and honestly, so, let me tell you something about Ben Carson. I Okay, mm-hmm. and I read an article about this, and I'm inclined to agree with this article. The article basically said that this is essentially, like, free PR for him. That's how he's been treating mm-hmm. it, like, for his books and for all the rest of this stuff. Because, you know, Ben Carson, you know, he's he's been retired for, you know, a while. A while. So he, um, he basically is... Um, making his money primarily as a um mm-hmm. as a speaker. And mm-hmm. he speaks on the on the um sort of the Christian, you know, um motivational speaker circuit. So mm-hmm. this is you know, this is like essentially like publicity for him, for his books that he's written. Right. Um this is what it is for him. I don't think that he ever had any intentions of winning. So you know? there you go. There you go. Exactly. And, I mean, you have that. And, you know, I have to come in from another angle. You know, I mean, there are many, many, many. But what I find, you know, a little <laughs> interesting is, you know, it was a conversation. And it was talking about Ben Carson and some of the, you know, mistakes that he's made or, you know, um, for misspeaking, if you will. And basically that this is another chance and another reason for some white to see black people as inferior 
because of the different things that he's saying and and the mistakes that he's making in the media. But I don't think that I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true because the reason I think that white people like Ben Carson is because mm-hmm. he says what he what they want would want black people to say, right? That right. this well, is we, that this is a great country that you know. Go mm-hmm. ahead. Sorry. No, 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 no. I mean, you're right. And but I'm just I was just telling you about a conversation that I saw, you know, taking place. And, you know, they were looking at it from that particular perspective that, you know, he, you know, his election and the mistakes, you know, there is giving other white people, you know, the opportunity to talk about black inferiority. And I mean, there are a number of different perspectives as to how people view his campaign. But I just kind of wanted to throw that in there as well, you know. Yeah, I doubt, I doubt that's it. the conversation that comes up. I think it's more if it, if they're talking about black inferiority, they're talking about black inferiority, not in the context of the mistakes that Ben Carson has made, but in context of, well, if Ben Carson has made it, then why can't these other black people get their shit together? Yeah, that's part of it. Exactly. 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 And so, you know, we're, I'm just sitting and I'm looking at this, and I'm absolutely amazed at, mm-hmm. you know, where we are. And I'm hoping by, you know, the middle of January that we see some real changes. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, whew, life is about to get real interesting. You know, what's your opinion on, you know, um you know, that black man who went to Canada and applied for asylum because he feels that he doesn't have a chance to live in America, that, you know, what's happening now. You know, did you read that story? Did you hear about that, Raina? Um, I, I did hear about that story. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, good luck, bro. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen for you. <laughs> Um, okay. Might have been better off. Might have been better off going to like you know um, Venezuela or something with that sort of a you know argument you know for asylum, right? Um, or Ecuador, but <laughs> nah, bro, it ain't gonna happen for you. <laughs> oh, that's too funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, I just thought the whole thing, like I said, was interesting. And um, there's a lot happening, you guys. It's a lot happening. And we just want you guys to pay attention, ask questions, you know, challenge people, you know, and, and, and challenge, you know, what a lot of these people are out here saying. Because for the most part, in many cases, it goes unchallenged. Mm-hmm. And we have to stop that. Right. You know, you know, your silence, you know, is equal to being complicit. And that's mm-hmm. how I see that. And so, yeah, I'm still laughing about Raina saying Ben Carson is the ideal black person to many of these white people, especially some yeah. of the racist white people. And, yeah. oh, yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, we've seen a lot of Ben Carsons over the years, mm-hmm. you know. And, you know, they have their chosen few, the ones that aren't going to challenge them, the ones that aren't going to talk about issues that need to be talked about and dealt with, you know, the ones that have, you know, that don't care anything about social justice, 
the ones who put the blame on us for the wealth inequality gap. Well, you just don't have goals. You have to go out here and pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and you got to go and, you know, make these things happen. And like Raina said, Ben Carson made a success of himself, and he came from a very poor background. What's your excuse? Mm-hmm. You know, you hear this crap all the time, you know, and, you know, I'm seeing some of the same, some of the old false narratives and tropes, you know. I've been, you know, just kind of watching things for like the past week on Facebook to see what people are talking about. And, you know, I feel like we've been set back two or three years mm-hmm. because some of the conversations are reverting to things that, you know, they were pretty much, you know, dispelled. And now it's coming back around. And so that's why I would encourage you to go and listen to some of these archives. You know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to start um, going to start using my Hootsuite again and, you know, sending all that, automating it like I used to do. So that way it will post, but I'm nowhere around, but I know the post is going to go out. But, um Guys, it's so much happening. But, you know, one of the things that I want to talk about is the Islamophobia and what we're seeing in this country and, you know, all over the world, but especially in this country. And, you know, I just need for you all to understand I've said it and maybe, you know, I know some people don't understand what I mean when I say fear is an industry. And it is. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, selling fear is made, has made a lot of people wealthy. You have mm-hmm. these home alarms, and now you got the home video cameras, and now they have the little boards that you can send your child to school with to, to deflect bullets, you know, and they got the bulletproof backpack and, you know, the, the GPS backpacks. And, I mean, a lot of this stuff, they're selling fear. And, you know, what was interesting about it is the day before Thanksgiving, President Obama had to bring out his entire security staff to stand behind him as he assured the American public that it was okay to travel, you know, and mm-hmm. and to go on and enjoy their holiday. There's going to be another news conference today, him and his security team you know, assuring America that, you know, we will not tolerate terrorism on American soil and all of these things. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, you're looking at the wrong folks. But they can never mm-hmm. say that in public. They can never say that in public. I remember um, many years ago, I don't know if I ever shared this story with you, Raina. Uh, maybe I have, but many, many years ago, you know, couple of decades ago, um, you know, I had applied to be a police officer, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was given a no-go. And, you know, for the, for I could never figure out why not because, I mean, I passed the, you know, the um, psychological part. You know, I blew the civil service test out the damn water. You know what I mean? And so, you know, and I thought I aced my interview, and so then when I started seeing articles about how police departments don't hire intellects, they hire more middle-of-the-road people, that explains some things. But 
you know, the way that it was explained to me is they hired people who would just do what they're told. Whereas I'm one of these people, I will question things and I will state that, you know, it doesn't make sense. But we have to do something because, you know, and I'm not saying me, I don't want to be a police officer now, you couldn't pay me, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't. But we have to do something because what's happening with these police officers, with the state violence, this is, this is you know, you know, it's obscene. Yes. And what's happening here in Chicago is is the same scenario is playing out in all the cities across the nation. It's just that right now Chicago is in the spotlight. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have people calling for Rahm Emanuel to step down. And personally, I believe that this information was not released before the election because Rahm would not have been reelected. As a matter of fact, he wasn't reelected. We forced a runoff, and then people didn't go vote in the runoff. That's how he won. Right. Because, you know, it was a bunch of us saying that Rahm had to go, and that was even Mm -hmm. before this. And so, you know, you have um, Anita Alvarez, you know, out here, you know, with her righteous indignation, you know, talking about she took her time to investigate and, you know, and she called in the FBI to help out. Now, mind you, um, um, Dante Servin is the police officer that killed Rakia Boyd, and he was charged with first-degree murder. And the judge threw it out because he should not have been charged with first-degree murder. They charged, they, they put the wrong charges on purpose. It was too, and I'm sitting there because now they're, they're charging Van Dyke with first-degree murder. And to me, I'm looking at this, and I'm shaking my head because as far as I'm concerned, you know, they're doing these things on purpose, and it's mm-hmm. all tied in together. Anita Alvarez, honey, start packing your office up because we voting you out next year. You're gone. You need to just go on and start taking your shit home. Little boxes <laughs> here and there. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Uber will take her home for free, I'm sure. You know, so, uh, <laughs> you know. You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you just need to pay attention, and this is why we tell people to get engaged, get informed, get active. And there are a number of ways that you can be active, even sharing these stories, especially some of these, you know, obscure stories, because a lot of people don't realize that the um, the Laquan McDonald video was released because of an independent journalist. And this was an independent journalist who sued, you know, the city of Chicago to release that video. He has now been banned from being a part of the city press. But it was his lawsuit that made them release that video because they weren't going to do it. The McDonald family received a $5 million settlement before they even had a chance to, 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 you know, file their paperwork in a lawsuit. What is that saying to you? And, mm-hmm. you know, McCarthy, McCarthy, you know, he said he wasn't leaving. But, you know, and he was saying that in an interview, you know, that morning he was fired. He was called to Rahm Emanuel's office during the middle of that interview, which is why he had to cut it short, and he was fired. 
Mm-hmm. And so you all need to pay attention to what's happening because, you know, when I saw Rahm Emanuel during that, you know, um, conference, and he was talking about how he asked for McCarthy's, you know, resignation, you know, go back and look at it. Rahm Emanuel is shaking in his boots because, you, you know, go back and listen to You hear all the nervousness in his voice. And look at his, you know, body gestures, his body movements. See, I, you know, all of that is important anyway. I think I paid too much attention in my communications class. But, you know, all of that is important because you got to remember Rahm Emanuel, you know, Mr. Charm himself, you know, he's not afraid of a camera. He's not afraid of a microphone. But not only was he nervous during that you know, news conference, nervous and anxious, you know, subsequent interviews that I've seen with him. He is nervous over there, and he knows he's sitting on a powder keg. And Mm -hmm. I posted an article a couple of days ago about why the Democrats are being quiet about Rahm Emanuel. And there's a reason for yesterday Hillary said something complimentary about him. But, you know, it's too little too late. That's how I see it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what what Mayor Daly did to this city, you know, it's time for those tiffs to come through. And you all are getting ready to see a lot of issues happening in the city of Chicago. I mean, already the state of Illinois, you can't even win the lottery. If you win over $600, they can't pay you. You know, and they, they claim it's because the budget hasn't been approved, but... You all need to pay attention to this. Go ahead, Raina. What were you about to say? Oh, no, I wasn't going to say anything. I was just like, ooh, interesting. <laughs> right. You know, you know, messed up all my little scratch-off tickets. But, um, you know, it's just interesting. You all need to pay attention, you know, not only, you know, to Chicago stuff, but I'm talking about your own cities. You know, all politics is local. Um, you need to know. Hey, Kim, do you have anyone in the queue? No one in the queue, if they're in the queue, they have to press 1. So the telephone number is 310-982-4273. Again, 310-982-4273. If you want to speak with us, press 1. You know, because I see people on the switchboard, but no one has pressed 1 to let me know that they want to ask Do you see a 562? No, I do not. Okay. Okay, so but I'll look for that, okay? Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you all need to pay attention to what's happening locally in in your, you know, respective cities. You know, I was down in Ferguson um, not too long ago. I was invited to um, a weekend of programs. And I was there, and I had the opportunity to meet, you know, even more of the parents that, you know, were affected by state violence. And, you know, um, man, my heart was just breaking. And they were giving other people the opportunity to speak about their families and how they've been affected by state violence. You know, I wanted to share a story, but I decided not to because, you know, the last thing I'm trying to do is traumatize, you know, my family or you know, picked a scab, you know, off of that sore. And my grandmother was in a hospital, too. So the last thing I wanted to do was upset her, 
you know, because we're already dealing with some things there. But, um, man, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. You know, during the Ferguson, you know, um, episodes down there when Mike Brown was assassinated, you know, the nurse, one of the nurses that was out there, and they, she had to help this one woman who collapsed, and they were saying that the woman was having a heart attack. And so she was treating the woman, and then they decided to, you know, pick the woman up, and they had to run towards the cops because that's where, the, you know, the EMTs and all of them, that's where they were. And so as they were running, you know, carrying this woman, the police told her to, you know, told them to stop and to drop the body. And she said she couldn't stop because she's the nurse. She's saving this woman's life. The woman is having a heart attack. And so then, you know, they they pointed their guns, and the other people dropped the body, and she was still working on it. And, you know, the whole thing is interesting, but to make a long story short, they ended up abusing her, kicking and punching and all of that. Mm. And I still don't know if that woman survived, the one that was having a heart attack, but that's just to kind of give you an idea as to what was happening there. So, Rain, I see your 562. Shall I bring them in? Yes, go ahead. Are they ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I believe so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hey, welcome Hi. to Black Free Thinkers. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. good. I'm good. good. And, and this is, if may we ask? This is uh, Diane Burkholder with the Kansas City Free Thinkers of Color. Yay. Excellent. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, thank you for coming on the show today. Um, you know, there have been some issues, and, you know, I saw the Storify, and, you know, I agreed wholeheartedly, plus some, with what you, you know, what you detailed. So if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and give you the floor, please, you know, um Introduce yourself and tell us, you know, what's happening. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, thank you for, for having me on. I think I think the crux of this issue is that, you know, when we're dealing with um, issues of marginalized black folks, particularly marginalized young people and marginalized students, that uh, everything that happened in Skepticon, a white, cis, I'm assuming straight male, has taken all the attention. So thank you for... Uh, Uplifting uh, black voices with everything that's been going on. Um, so, I'm um, a co-moderator of the Kansas City Free Thinkers of Color. Um, we've been in existence for four years. We were the uh, Kansas City um, Black Atheists, and a few years ago, uh, opened it up and became more inclusive to all folks of color because we, as marginalized communities of color, face many of the same issues uh, in the world, and particularly in the non-belief community. So. Um, Myself and um, three other um, members of our group went down to Skepticon, which is in Springfield, Missouri, which is about two and a half hour three, two and a half hour drive from Kansas City, in the what is referred to is as the belt buckle of the Bible Belt, <laughs> um, because there is so many churches and so many religious schools down there. But Skepticon, uh, this was its eighth year in existence, so. Um, I hadn't gone for a few years just due you know, to the lack of diversity, um, to be quite honest. Um, very few people of color attended um, ever. You know, it was usually at 15 to 20, and it's a free conference. 
Um, and so I didn't go for two years. And so this year I decided to go back because there was more, much more diversity in the lineup. And I was particularly interested in seeing Sukibu Hutchinson speak on Friday evening, um, being from L.A. And I used to live in L.A., so I just really wanted to hear her speak. And um, the other um, the folks of color that were speaking just to get more perspective. Um, and so there was a last-minute add-on um, two days in advance of uh, what was was slotted to, slated to be a um, Q&A with uh, Mark Shirebecker and his publicist, uh, Danielle Moscato, um, regarding what had happened at Mizzou a few weeks prior. Um, and so I was like, okay, we'll go. Um, but when I woke up in the morning, uh, the day of, and started, you know, looking at uh, Mr. Shirebecker's Twitter feed and was kind of looking more into what had transpired, I had seen the six-minute video that had gone viral and didn't see the longer video in which he himself had pushed through the circle. So just seeing kind of the rhetoric on his Twitter page, I had a feeling that it might not go so well. So I kind of started tweeting him and letting him see some articles and say, you know, hey, like, check this out, Skepticon, check this out before this afternoon. Um, so I didn't go in super optimistic, but I was like, let's see what happens. And so the Q&A uh, was not a Q&A at all. It was a scripted discussion between Danielle and uh, Mark. Um, in which you know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the video. Um, there's a timeline, which I thought was helpful, a timeline of the things that had happened at Mizzou, um, and it had transpired from um, Melissa, particularly uh, Melissa Click, and concerns, which is who is a professor at Mizzou, and concerns to it in 1950 regarding you know uh, freedom of speech, public spaces, First Amendment rights, things like that. And so we went through the timeline and then proceeded to go on another about 20 minutes. And we're really rushed for time and said, oh, we got to get through this. And Mark acknowledged, you know, his white privilege, check mark, right? Um, <laughs> acknowledged that, you know, Fox News and all these right-wing um, media outlets are problematic, check mark. Um, and then at the end, they're like, okay, thanks. And I was like, uh, what? Right. <laughs> so right. I set up. Um, yeah, just at, at the end of the day, I was like, this this cannot happen this way. I, this this cannot. And they had said they had invited um, some of the Mizzou students this 48-hour notice, and they weren't able to come. So instead of canceling it, they had the event. So I got up, and I was just, you know, perturbed, to say the least. Uh, I wanted to sit the chair, but I was like, let me use my words. And just really kind of challenged the narrative that Mark was pushing forward that he wanted Professor Click to be fired. I'm very adamant about that. And by the end of the 30-minute session, Danielle was like, are you sure you want to do this? And Mark was like, yes. Um, wanted to have her fired, had filed an incident report, and wanted her, um, you know, said, well, if the prosecutor decides to, uh, you know, press charges, that's on them. You know, kind of the assumption that prosecutors are fair. So that's another issue. But really just the whole point of pushing this, this white student's narrative about what had happened at Mizzou and not uplifting black voices. And so that spurred, um, I think, about 45 more additional minutes of Q&A. <laughs> and it was mostly pushed back from the audience. <laughs> um, and throughout that, there was a lot of, um, you know, myself, my uh, co-member, Lucky, uh, otherwise known as Carissa, um, spoke up and really just, 
challenge the narrative about what this, this gentleman was pushing. But I will say that there were white folks in the audience that were pushing back. One was a Mizzou student. Another was a journalist, uh, journalist of color. There was a, another white male there that was pushing back. Um, and he just kept digging his heels in even more and more and more. And it was not pretty. I think, you know, you all have seen the video. So mm-hmm. um, that happened. And by the end of it, um, I was so furious. I mean, people had walked out. I was so furious and angry and upset and traumatized that this space had happened. And it's to uplift what I thought would be black voices. And at the end, the people of color in particular are even more traumatized. And so it just really spoke to the ways in which, you know, the non-believer community, non-believer conferences, I think, have been really trying to do much better about making spaces safer for folks um, that are are differently abled, for queer queer and trans people, for women, trying to do better. And I will say Skepticon is trying to do a lot better in that regard. But just at the end of the day, I was like, I'm a brown person, and I don't feel safe. Um, So I was so angry, you know, I, I will... Plus, that is, I found a good Peruvian restaurant in Springfield, Missouri. Who would have thought? And just had to go calm down <laughs> and just kind of take it all in. And then that evening, um, saw that Danielle uh, fired herself um, from being um, Danielle's, uh, from being Mark's publicist. Uh, did an p- apology. Um, and one thing that Danielle said in her statement was that you know he said undeniably racist things. Um, and so people latched onto that. And uh, Mark, that evening, uh, created a his own YouTube two to five minute. You know, you know, I can't. You know, I'm sorry this happened. You know, I still want her fired. And labeled the video. I believe it was journalist lives matter. Journalist voices matter. Um, oh Lord. And was you know whining. Was whining. Poor poor white boy. You know, felt attacked mm-hmm. on stage. White explaining. White, white, mm-hmm. And then his friend, um, whom I don't know his name, but he has a, I think it's College Talk TV, YouTube station, um, gentleman, black man, um, then did a video also that evening interviewing Mark, wanted to interview Mark, and the whole video was, you know, his he was attacked, he's autistic, he was attacked because he's autistic, he was not being pushed back because of his um, autism, he was being pushed back because of his white privilege. Um, and then his black friend then co-signed and, did, you know, did a very Raven Simone thing. And I was like, oh, he didn't say anything racist. He's a good guy. He's nice. <laughs> People should not attack him. And so it was just, and I was like, oh, black man, please, why? And so that happened. Right. And then the next morning they released the video, Skepticon did. Myself and Lucky's name were the only ones that were included in the video, which was troubling. Um, none of the white voices, their names were attached to it. So I was not happy not. with that. No. Yeah. Of course not. Um, but and did they have your permission? Did they have your they permission? They did. They did have my permission to use my name, but I also, too, I guess I, I naively thought they were going to get most of the people's names. And the next morning when I saw it, I was like, oh, great. Well, it's out there. Um and But I will say the Skepticon did, the evening of the debacle, did do what I thought was a very heartfelt, a very genuine um, apology. They owned it. They spoke to us the next day and that evening, apologized for what happened. I'm hoping it's a big step for, as a big uh, a learning, <laughs> place of learning mm-hmm. for, for the for Skepticon. And I, I think this might be what pushes. 
so, you know, the next day happened and, um, you know, then the, the pushback really started and I really saw the visceral reaction, particularly of, exactly. um, white men. Um, one of my, I'm part of another organization here in town and uh, a black woman who I organize with is Christian and, and on her Twitter says she's a Christian freak. And she was going to bat for me. And these other folks of color, and they're non-believers because at the end of the day, it was about black folks. And she was going to bat for us. And she blocked so many people. She said she blocked the most, uh, the highest number of trolls she'd ever had in her entire existence of ever being on Twitter in like a four-hour span. Um, and I was getting attacked and Lucky was getting attacked. And just uh-huh. all of these visceral reactions and how dare you and he said nothing racist and prove it and it just kept going on and on and on. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. See, so, you know what, Diane? Let me tell you, I appreciate it because Raina and I have been talking about this, you know, when I was doing the people of color, um, people of color beyond faith when we were doing the Twitter chats. We yeah. were just letting them have it. Now, yeah. you know, I took this year off, but those Twitter chats are coming back next year. You okay. know, because it's like, because we got to talk about this. And mm-hmm. what I find, you know, most troubling and problematic mm-hmm. in this community is this is the community of being post-racial and colorblind, according to them. Mm-hmm. And we see the pushback. We see, you know, especially white, hetero, cisgendered, wealthy, educated men in this mm-hmm. community and some of the things that they're saying. And yep. and we've challenged them on the racism, the sexism, the misogyny, the homophobia, trans, all of that. And, uh-huh. and and we see them not react. We see them not correct anything. And the reason for it is these these xenophobes that they have following them. They have the money, and uh-huh. they're afraid of losing that funding. But in yeah. addition to all of that, we got to remember that this community now, this uh-huh. new atheism thing, this is based on libertarianism and uh-huh. capitalism. You know, yes. and so therefore they're not going to see anything. You had people like Michael Shermer writing articles saying that there is no such thing as a wealth inequality gap. And mm-hmm. so when we go out here and we try to educate them on these things, you mm-hmm. know, and we were making some headway. And we're yeah. going to come back and we're going to come back strong because we we're making some headway. We're going to continue to challenge them. But when we say that these problems exist in this community, uh-huh. we are pushed back and they say it's not happening. And what yep. you just said by, about the trolls, Raina and I have had to block so many people on Facebook uh-huh. as well so as on people. Twitter. The trolls. Uh-huh. And the thing is, is that, you know, if you notice with a lot of these larger white organizations, that they never say anything about, you know, the atrocities happening to people of color, namely state violence. And when they happen to write a little article or blurb saying that racism uh-huh. is wrong and they stand with whomever, all you have to do is read the comments. You know, uh-huh. they say that, you know, they're vying for, you know, a black group, a Latino group, a Muslim uh-huh. group, or, or, or ex-Muslim group, and you read the comments. And this is why you have a lot of people of color that are running from this community that don't even want to be associated with it. Because not only are they not addressing it, but they, you know, they don't seem to realize that their, science, that their silence is them being complicit with the acts of these exactly. trolls. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. 
yeah, I, I, you know, full disclosure, I am not as immersed in the non-belief community. I mean, I do my free thinker group here, um, and but I'm not as, as immersed as I used to be just for that very reason that it's exhausting. Um, exactly. You think you have community, and we have a non-belief community here, um, Oasis, who is trying to tackle tougher conversations about race and racism, but it hasn't really come to fruition. And in a lot of the end of the day, it's like we need to be my diverse book. You know, we need to talk. White people need to talk to white people about whiteness. It is not our job to handhold, mm-hmm. nor is it just like it's not our job as non-believers to handhold Christians. It's not. But you know what? Right. I think I find also disappointing about mm-hmm. the atheist community is um, this. This I think that they're that or this atheist secular community, I don't think that their commitment to diversity, uh, even for some of the organizations that have more diverse panels and conferences, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't okay, think that no, is actually what it ought to be. And the reason that I say this is, is that look at where mm-hmm. they put people of color typically. Mm-hmm. You know what right. I mean? They're putting them on mm-hmm. the panels where they're talking about diversity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In this, in this, in this instance where they wanted, you know, they threw this guy in at the very last minute. Mm-hmm. So why was there no thought that there should be some kind of dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Or something mm-hmm. that <laughs> black people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now you don't invite people at the last minute as an afterthought. Yeah. You know what I mean? In a situation yeah. where you're talking about a Black Lives Matter protesting. Yeah. You know. What yeah. I mean? Exactly. And see, and I need to jump in here because you know everybody knows that this just grinds my gears here. You know about the, these diversity panels. It's always the same people, and it's always more white people. They may find one so-called black person and uh-huh. you know and put them on a uh-huh. panel but the thing uh-huh. is is that all they're doing is talking about diversity there is uh-huh. no action and now uh-huh. that i see that a number of these organizations are now adding panels talking about black lives matter and you know this is my opinion here they are only tethering themselves to black lives matter because right now is you know the thing to do and that mm-hmm. this is a movement that's, you know, gathering a lot of steam and a lot of publicity, and they're mm-hmm. tethering themselves to it. But also, mm-hmm. I believe they're pulling some of that in to dilute the impact and the message of Black Lives mm-hmm. Mattering, because they mm-hmm. don't care. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and then some of the, you know, white people out there that, you know, claim to advocate for, you know, people of color or black people or mm-hmm. what have you, you know what's interesting is is that they understand some of them understand their white privilege, but mm-hmm. they're not willing to give any of their white privilege up or uh, use their white privilege to help us in in some shape, form, or fashion mm-hmm. because it would be deemed as unpopular, if you will. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's just interesting. But you know what I'm really concerned about is the impact and the efforts of Black Lives Matter and other grassroots movements being uh-huh. diluted by this community or tethered on as, as a way to, you know, self-promote themselves and, you know, uh-huh. being opportunists. We have to be careful about that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, no, the, the work I'm doing here in Kansas City is Black Lives Matter organizing and, there's been, you know, Black History Month is coming up, so we're getting all kinds of requests. And 
<laughs> I think in general, <laughs> I think in general, though, about, you know, I think you had a really important point about you have to be willing to give something up. And I've been speaking to some white atheists, some pretty well-known white atheists, and I'm just like, okay, stop. I did appreciate that some white atheists did, you know, write some blog posts that were kind of calling out what happened at Skepticon. That was helpful. But also, too, it goes above and beyond that. And I think, you know, it, Folks don't want to lose friends. They don't want to lose reputation. They don't want to lose power. People feel stuck and don't know how to have those conversations. And I've told some people, like, it's not easy, but guess what? you got to do it, and you're so much more effective than I'm going to be as a brown person. And guess what? Suck it up. You want your religious exactly. people, you want your religious family to suck it up and to deal with you as who you are, as being a non-believer, and you push them in all sorts of ways. You need to push them about issues about race. Um, and so I think, right. you know, particularly what happens at Skeptica, which is even so, you know, more troubling, is it not going to curse. Um, Shockbrecker <laughs> is still on Twitter promoting getting her fired, getting um, Melissa Click um, removed. I mean, up until yesterday, he was promoting uh, Ben Shapiro, who is a extreme um, right-winger, editor-in-chief of BioBrit or whatever, I always mispronounce that website, hot mess of a website. And he was in Columbia two weeks ago saying microaggression is the truth. And said so microaggressions don't matter. They, they, they don't exist. And I don't care about your feelings. And a concerned student in 1950 are whiners and big babies and need to grow up and was tr- super transphobic at the end. And Mark was promoting this, all for freedom of speech. Exactly. And said, well, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. So it's just so disturbing that white people have been talking to him, black people have been talking to him for three weeks, and he is still on his high horse saying, well, Melissa needs to go. And I was like, if you have learned nothing else, when your PR person drops you and for three weeks of hearing pushback, maybe you should just let it go. He has still not let it go. Exactly. And he probably, unfortunately, won't. Because it, his voice and his opinion and his narrative matters so much more than the black students at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. Right. And see, you see a lot of that in this community. And, mm-hmm. you know, someone will say or do something that's problematic and, you know, <laughs> we challenge it, and they dig their heels in even more. And more, what was yep. interesting, I'm going to go back to what you said earlier about how their token black friends are coming out. Oh, he's not racist. you got to get to know him. We've dealt with that even with the Dusty issue and mm-hmm. all the idiocy that comes out of Dusty's mouth. And, mm-hmm. you know, a number of other people, I mean, you know, even with some of the things that are problematic that come out of the mouths of Dawkins, Hitchens, and Harris in regard to Islamophobia. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a mm-hmm. lot more of that, and, it's you know, the opinions are getting stronger. And so that's why, you know, I've challenged people to think about, you know, what we are tying ourselves to and mm-hmm. who we're tying ourselves to in this mm-hmm. community because, you know, the it's – we have, you know, we had a young man call in, and he claimed to be a libertarian, and he was trying to explain it to us. And so, me being me, I told him, to, I asked him, you know, who was Ann Rand and why is she important? Mm-hmm. He had no idea. And and so I used that example to say this. You see a lot of, you know, people of color in this community basically recapitulating what they're hearing from some of these, 
white atheist celebrities and not mm-hmm. understanding what they're saying because uh-huh. you know, they get a quick you know quick talking point here and there but i always tell people you need to go back and look at the context of mm-hmm. that particular excerpt or quote mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It's the same thing and i and i say this all the time the way that i see some of these atheists in this community they're just yeah. like the christians but instead of yeah. you know um quoting matthew mark and luke they're quoting hitches Harris and Dawkins, and it's mm-hmm. the same thing, and they take mm-hmm. things out of context, and they're not challenging these mm-hmm. organizations and these celebrity atheists. They're not challenging them, and one of the reasons is that they're not as well versed as they should be, and you mm-hmm. know, I just find it, you know, disappointing because it's like you jump from one cult to another one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think the other thing that I really have been noticing is folks really fixating on you need to prove that he said something racist, right? And so he wasn't dropping N-bombs, right? He wasn't saying F those black people, but he was in the way he was acting and pushing his narrative. And so you can get privilege 101 and understand that you had to have a one-up in life, right? But that's cute. But what are you doing that you are not centering your feelings, right? And I think that's the 201 that a lot of people haven't haven't gotten to and that need to go to. And so all these white dudes that were coming up saying, proof, 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 show me the facts. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, our voices aren't enough, and we have to scientifically, in a very Eurocentric, scientific method, prove racism to you, right? Like, it's just so, it's just, it's appalling and, it's so disappointing, and I'm just like, forget it, forget it. Like it's, it's. I see why people do distance themselves away when white folks don't understand why black and brown people, why we need our own spaces, because people don't exactly. understand black pain. And when they do see black pain, they see it as entertainment, right? They see it as something to be sensationalized, but they don't actually get what it means to honor black pain honor black spaces, honor black voices, and to just sometimes shut the hell up, right? Exactly. <laughs> that narrative exactly. hasn't exactly. been pushed hard enough that these white boys, I'm going to say white women mm-hmm. too, want to push the narrative that I'm right, what I say. You need to prove your humanity to me. I guess and see, no. And that's, I and, and that's BS. That is BS. You know, they, they want you to prove your humanity and, and prove that you're worthy of being mm-hmm. called a human being. And mm-hmm. something that you just said, this is something that Raina and I have talked about on numerous occasions, you know, one-on-one as well as on this show. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's like this. The serious people of color, you know, in this community that mean business, that, you know, talk about these issues that are relevant, how it affects our communities, how it affects us individually, you know, uh-huh. they, they I, I'll just put it this way. I don't believe that they give those people high regard. But uh-huh. the ones that are up there being the entertainment, if you will, uh-huh. they uh-huh. love them. Uh-huh. Because uh-huh. these are the same people that aren't challenging them, but they're exactly. just there to have a good time. And, uh-huh. and they don't care about any of these other issues because uh-huh. they feel like, you know, it, you know, it doesn't affect them. You know, and the thing uh-huh. is, is that... Any one of your children or your spouse or your friends can be impacted by state violence. Trust me, the people that have been killed by state violence, they never thought it would happen to them either, but it did. Mm-hmm. 
And uh-huh. so, you know, and this is why we talk about these things and uh-huh. why we have to, you know, get louder and start holding uh-huh. these people more accountable. And uh-huh. as a matter of fact, you know, yeah, you know, only bad thing about this is, is that, you know, I want to challenge a few of these people, but the thing is, is that all the trolls will come after me. Uh-huh. And it's not that I'm afraid of a fight because I'm not necessarily afraid uh-huh. of a fight or afraid of confrontation, but I uh-huh. don't want the message to get diluted in the foolery. Exactly, exactly. Well, you know, that's where the white folks need to step up. They need to continue to write. They need to continue to speak up. And they also need to start ostracizing some of these these, these problematic folks. And and maybe stop taking some of their money and stop giving them a platform. I agree. I mean, pretty well known atheist JT Everhart um, lives here locally and has a huge following, and I've seen him speak and debate people. And he wrote a whole piece talking about, you know, Mark didn't say anything racist and did a whole piece about it. And then when I shared it on Facebook, came to my page and was trying to debate with me on my page, which is one thing, but then his trolls stole your following. And did anybody call exactly. out the trolls besides myself? No. <laughs> so Exactly. It's just, exactly. Yeah. And so I'm not, I have had a couple of white folks step up, and I'll tag them, and I'll be like, get your people. This is not my job. You know, I'll, I'm exactly. not engaging in any more conversation. Get your people. <laughs> exactly. Not work. And that happens that happens all the time. What were you saying, Raina? No, I didn't say anything. I just laughed. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, you know, and that happens all the time. You know, they'll say one thing to you, and then, you know, they'll tell their trolls to go, or even their trolls just take the cue and mm-hmm. come over and start giving you a hard time. And mm-hmm. that has happened. And, you know, what's interesting is in a couple of cases, you know, because, I mean, I understand what you say they need to ostracize. In a couple of cases, they've ostracized people who didn't deserve to be ostracized. Mm-hmm. That's only because that person wasn't as popular and would not, you know, genuflect and kiss their asses. And mm-hmm. so, you mm-hmm. know, kind of have to be careful with that. But in this case, you're absolutely 100% correct. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you know, with JT, some of the things that he said over the years has been problematic anyway. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's unfortunate, but I have not come to expect anything else from yeah. him and certain other yeah. people in this community. And so, you know, mm-hmm. they keep telling people to challenge and question everything, but, mm-hmm. you know, but don't do that to me. Don't challenge me. Don't question yeah. me. I'm right. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. it's just, it's, it's you know, horrific. And it's a lot of hypocrisy in this community. And mm-hmm. the thing is, is that you have a lot of self-promoting opportunists and mm-hmm. sellouts. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting back and I'm watching and I'm shaking my head because the very thing that they claim to hate, they've turned mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I will say the silver lining. <laughs> Has to be some silver <laughs> lining with this. <laughs> is that hopefully, um, you know, I plan on attending the Secular Social Justice Conference at the end of January in Houston, and hopefully we are able to get some some students from Mizzou, hopefully some members of Concerned Student 1950, to be able to attend so they can have a platform to say this is what happened, this is our perspective, this is what we need to do. 
Um, and there's been organizing happening here at UMKC with the black students. We're only two hours away from Columbia. We are four hours away from Ferguson. There's been a lot of solidarity going on with students here, and as you've seen the ripple effect of what's happened at Mizzou, there have been students all across this country raising up and saying we need to do better. So although Mark has acted a fool and made this all about him, I'm hoping, and I'm going to do what I can, and I hope other people can do what they can to continue to put the story back where it should be, is what are the experiences of the black folks, what is going on, and what can white people do to step up to give space to other black people so they can speak up as well. Because so much of what happens, particularly on university campuses, is people are silenced, right? We have a lot of people, folks of color, in positions of power, and they're shucking and jiving for white folks. And they say they're down for these revolutionary students, but at the end of the day, they're really not, right? And so how do we even give space for the students that want to push back in an authentic way? How do we give space for them to do that and support them and not shame them exactly. for what they're doing, which is what happening in our larger community, a lot of elders are shaming the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm like, the students, yep. we need to support the students and the young people. So I'm exactly. hoping that this opens the door to continue to push and continue to ban that we are not going to take people BS anymore. Like, enough is enough. And if you act a fool, you're going to be called out on it. People are real quick about calling out Christians. Guess what? We're going to call you out too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I agree. And especially about the young people, the college college students. And I'm going to post an article later talking about why it's important for these students mm-hmm. to protest and to lead, you know, these, you know, particular movements. And mm-hmm. and I mean that is what happened with the civil rights movement. But mm-hmm. you know, one of the issues now is that the old civil rights vanguard. They're too mm-hmm. busy trying to make it seem like it's about them because Al Sharpton wants to be Martin Luther King so bad. But, you know, and I'm glad that they're pushing them to the back. But, yeah, we need to support these students. And like mm-hmm. I said, you know, I've supported them in various ways. Like I said, I caught, you know, I rode the bus with mm-hmm. uh, members of the Black Youth Project 100 out of Chicago. And mm-hmm. those young people made me proud because they're being their authentic selves. They uh-huh. know who they are. They own it. They're proud. And uh-huh. I was like, what I would have given to have felt that way when I was their age. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I'm loving it, honey. I'm loving these babies. And I keep telling them, yeah. you go for it, darling. Yeah. And, you know, people like me, I'm going to get out your way, but I'm going to support you, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's financially mm-hmm. or any other type mm-hmm. of resources. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, kudos. Kudos mm-hmm. to those mm-hmm. babies. But, yeah, Diane, like I said, you're welcome to come back at any time. You know, reach out, you know, to Raina, and we can set it up. And But, you know, I'm glad that you came and you gave us your perspective on what happened, you know, at that particular conference because, yeah. you know, Raina and I have talked about a number of different issues that have transpired in this community, and there are mm-hmm. some people that want to say, oh, you're just throwing spaghetti at the wall. No, these things are actually happening. And then mm-hmm. you have the people, you know, that are white explaining it, oh, well, you just misunderstood. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. when you hit someone with a bat, I, how can I misunderstand that? Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no way to misunderstand that. And mm-hmm. so it's it's just interesting, but like I said, you know, this community doesn't mind talking about diversity. Yeah. They'll talk yeah. about it all day long. There's no As long as they don't have to do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. As long as they yeah. don't have to do it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And one other just quick thing I just want to um, touch on, I think mm-hmm. particularly for us being folks of color, but, you know, white folks, um, and we're going to center black people, but white people, how they can help is we need to not honor and support, but to help burden, help take away some of the emotional burden that we as folks of color that queer people, that trans folks, gender nonconforming uh, women, that we have to go through on an everyday basis. We can't get away right. from this. And I think one of the things that has been really helpful for me is to honoring the fact that I'm going to have a terrible day. I got back from Skepticon. I was worn out. I wrote a letter regarding this also the whole other story, which I know you all talked about, about Umar Johnson being at my alma mater. I wrote a letter <laughs> on Monday, and on Tuesday, I was tapped the hell out. And was like, yeah. I can't do this. But I had to honor myself and be like, I need to take a day off, mm-hmm. and I need to breathe, and so I can come back. And a young organizer that I was talking to a few days ago who's a college student and is, is raising hell and is doing amazing things is tired. And I said, you can be tired. You need to take a break. That's right. And you need to take a break for yourself, and it is okay. Because I know there's a really good article that was going around the other day about resiliency, right? This resiliency is like the whole, you know, like strong black woman myth. We can be resilient. Mm-hmm. We are also human. And we, we can That's break, right. and we can break in many, many ways. And then you start mm-hmm. looking at the mental health needs and all these things that start spiraling about how this movement yep. can fall apart. And so this movement really needs to be about, you know, providing financial service, uh, um, providing financial space for people, uplifting voices, but also talking about what do we need to heal to be able to continue to do this work on an everyday basis because it's traumatic mm-hmm. and it's exhausting mm-hmm. and people don't Agreed. understand that, right? Like, just suck it up. It's hard. You're a warrior. Warriors have tough days. And that's, and right. that's why we're thankful for you, Diane, like because we, we, see you, we see you out here doing your thing, and uh, especially with the Umar Johnson thing, which is just ridiculous. But I, I wanted to um, hip you to something if you hadn't seen it yet. Um, even Boyce Watkins and his crew are starting to question Umar oh. Johnson now around his fundraising. Because, I um, saw I don't a know. little blip about Umar whining about, he said, scholars in quotation marks. I was like, how ironic, Mr. Six Degrees, and we don't know where they came from because probably one of them is a middle school designer. <laughs> right, 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 right. Scholars <laughs> in quotation marks. Touche. Yeah. Exactly. So they're, so they're, so they're exactly. finally starting to come around. When a year ago they were they were they were getting on some of us who were questioning Umar and his mm-hmm. motives and questioning the fact that you know not only is he you know a homophobe and a patriarch mm-hmm. but he's also um, he also is asking for all this money with no mm-hmm. business plan or exactly. no history of success with building schools and they wanted to give right. him this money. Watkins a year ago was just saying you need to give the brother a chance. Oh and yeah, now, I saw that. Yeah, and now and now his camp is even saying, "Whoa, now what's going on?" Because he started, because he stopped asking, because he stopped asking for two million dollars. He's asking for four million dollars, and he's had several different GoFundMe accounts. And the funny part is, is that you know people think he's only getting money through these GoFundMe accounts. He's getting envelopes. Yes. Talked uh-huh. about in, in 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 a couple different interviews online. He gets envelopes yep. mailed to a PO box. Mm-hmm. And we don't know what they're giving him at this P.O. box. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. there's just no system of accountability. Exactly. Oh, yeah, but, so. you know, I wanted to, you know, speak on what um, Diane said a minute ago, one of the points that she, I know, I know, you know, about self-care. 
And that is very important because when I went to the Black Lives Matter conference this summer and I was there, like I said, they were expecting 500 of us, but Uh 1,500 of us showed up, right? Yep. And it was a beautiful weekend, and, you know, I exhaled. But, you know, what I find interesting about that was I didn't even realize I was holding my breath, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of this, you know, a lot of the things that we're dealing with is so consistent, it's so constant, that after Mm -hmm. a while holding your breath, embracing yourself and putting filters up and all of that, it, it becomes commonplace. It's it's just an yep. everyday occurrence. And then yep. when you're in, a, in in an environment like that, that's welcoming, that's affirming, that's, you know, encouraging mm-hmm. and all of those things there, and you breathe and you let mm-hmm. go. And, yep. and, and because, you know, again, they, they kept it so that it was, you know, um, conducive to people of color and so we were able to express ourselves freely mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. fear of it mm-hmm. being taken out of context without someone mm-hmm. there trying to white explain it mm-hmm. and this is one of the things that you know I kind of have issue with because mm-hmm. we have our own groups and our own community so that we can talk yep. to one another but there are certain white people in all of these communities that feel like they have to be a part of everything mm-hmm. And, why can't you know, I sometimes our space, yeah, yeah, you know, but why can't our space I was in Cleveland, too, and there are a couple of white people, I don't know if you remember, that acted a fool. Black people well, brought them they, in and they acted a fool. Like, why can't we be here? Go home. Well, I saw them ask a couple. Yeah, well, I saw them ask a couple of white people to leave. You know, leave the conversation because yeah, yeah, there was yeah. one. This one. They want to be centered. He, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. He yeah. clowned. And I even went to the ISO conference, the International yeah. um Socialist Organization, mm-hmm. and it was this one white guy and he was hot and you know was talking about Karl Marx and the the um the panelists, oh, you know, or the speaker uh-huh. that was up there, you know, they were talking about um black and brown, you know, socialists and communists and their influence, and this guy wanted to, you know, debate the merits of Karl Marx, and but that's what, it wasn't about Karl Marx and, and mm. white people, it was about black people and what has mm. worked for us, because, you know, they even brought up Hammer and Ho, the black communist farmers that were in Alabama, but this guy, he wouldn't let go. They had to ask him to leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so it's just, it's, it's amazing. And then yeah. they wonder why when some of us come around, why we just shut up and we oh, yeah. just look at them. And then you have shows like this, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I don't give a damn. This is my show. If I want to pull the rug from under you, that's exactly what the hell I'm going to do <laughs> at that moment, you know. And like I said, I'm unbought and unbossed. And mm-hmm. that is the way we're going to keep it. But, you know, it's just interesting because, with some of these so-called allies, I just mm-hmm. look at it as ally theater. You mm-hmm. play a part. You play a part mm-hmm. on stage when all when all eyes are on you and they got the spotlight mm-hmm. on you. But in mm-hmm. real life, it's mm-hmm. a different story, and yep. that needs to be addressed because there's a lot of that in this community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the cookies. Okay. <laughs> well, guys, you know, again, you know, I am loving this, and Diane, you're welcome to, you know, join us 
any time. I mean, we can do a feature on you and your group and, and your activism and all of that. So just let Raina know we'll get it set up. But we appreciate your coming in and Thank telling you. us Thank what you. happened at Skepticon because I agree wholeheartedly with you when you said that basically they they put the people of color in that particular, you know, it was just people of color. They didn't put any of the white voices up there. And mm-hmm. that goes back to some of the things that I said, you know, especially some mm-hmm. of the um, black women in this community. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. they many of them are too busy being everybody's mammy, being the yeah. white people's yeah. mammy. And then mm-hmm. what they did with you guys is that, you know, they were trying to foist you into that mm-hmm. role of mammy, and you resist it. And you're like, oh, yeah, hell yeah. no. And so yeah. and I'm just sitting here, and I'm looking at it because they do it all the time. They try mm-hmm. to use us as a shield. And it just reminds me of that episode on South Park in which they declared war, and they put Chef and all the black people on the front <laughs> line. And so, you know, they were like, so you shoot when we say fire. You know, they're explaining it to the black people what they were supposed to do. And Mm -hmm. so they were like, ready, aim, and then the black people dropped to the ground. And the white people were like, oh, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, if we're going to do it, we're going to do a do-over. And told Chef, no, you're supposed to stand up and shoot uh-huh. back, and Chef was like, okay, okay, we got it, we got it. And so the white person <laughs> went back to the back of the line, and he was like, ready, aim, and then the black people dropped again. And so then the white people got frustrated and called off the war. That is what we deal with on an everyday basis. Everyday so, basis. Yes, yeah. And so, we you know, that's, you know, real life, just dropping down. Yeah, you know, yeah. okay. <laughs> so, you know, being black is exhausting. Being mm-hmm. a woman it really is. Exhausting. Mm-hmm. Being a member of the LGBTQ um, community is exhausting. Being a mm-hmm. black non-believer, atheist, free thinker, humanist, whatever you call yourself, uh-huh. it is exhausting. Every mm-hmm. day that I wake up and take a breath is an act of resistance. It and is. that is something mm-hmm. that we need to learn and understand, and we need to take our agency back, not only in mm-hmm. this community, but over everything take our agency back and it is not up to us to prove our humanity. No. That should be that should just be a given. And especially yeah. when you have people like Mike Huckabee saying that he still thinks that Dred Scott is the law of the land. He wants to be our president. And with mm-hmm. Dred Scott, it, it, it says basically that black people are not defined as being fully human. I know. And I'm just sitting here, and those two black women stumping for Trump, I'm just amazed. I wanted to pull my hair out. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I was trying to call Raina up, and, you know, she was busy doing something. I had to talk to somebody about that because I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I think it just really shows the importance of, you know, particularly like folks like yourself having shows like this, uplifting our own voices because we have to tell our own stories, that we have to mm-hmm. honor and uplift black journalists that are doing good work. Um, for me, Nikki Massey spoke. 
Um, and she left halfway through the presentation. Like, she couldn't take it anymore. She went back and she watched a video. And, like, three days after on her blog, she wrote a blog post about how she felt, how she was in tears, how she was angry. And reading that was so affirming. Like, she put everything in words I wanted to say. And I started crying. Like, I was like, this is, this is truth. This is our reality. And it takes black people having to tell our stories for us to affirm ourselves because it ain't going to happen from white people. Um, That's right. And so I just think it's really important that, like, when we do share our stories, that we 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 share it with other people to make sure it gets out there. Because we know, damn, it ain't gonna happen in mainstream media. Or if they do, they gonna exactly. take the one clip that they like and take the rest of it and be like, oh, you you are angry. Well, we should be angry. <laughs> if you're right. angry, something would be wrong. Ain't that what James Baldwin said? He says, if you're black in America and you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Okay, exactly. and that's the truth, and mm-hmm. that is the truth. And then they, they, they try to use that, you know, that false narrative about black women being angry. We have a right to be angry, and what is mm-hmm. wrong with being angry? You have righteous, righteous anger, you know, you have passion, you have a number of those things, but if mm-hmm. I'm just damn mad, I'm just damn mad, and I'm not going to apologize about it anymore. Exactly, exactly, exactly. All right, y'all. So I'm gonna let y'all get on with y'all Sunday. I'm gonna try to get on around the corner. They got turkey and dressing at the soul food restaurant. That's calling my name. <laughs> but Diane, I won't ask you if you go down with some sweet tea. I'm not gonna ask. Oh, honey, honey, not just sweet tea, honey, sweet tea. It's something about the honey that gives it a mm-hmm. taste. Don't let them use red zinger. Oh my goodness. What's uh, <laughs> the right amount of diabetes? Man, I got pills for that. Because those moments were so exhausted, those Twitter moments are like, yes. <laughs> but you know, maybe you know, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Um, maybe, you know, with the three of us, maybe we can organize some type of Twitter thon. Mm-hmm. And and talk about this and other issues and kind of bring it to to light. So you know, yeah. I'll definitely be under the POC mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Twitter, and I probably will be able to get someone else to do the Black Freethinkers Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then Raina has her own Twitter, unless she does one or the other. But yeah, yeah, I think we need to get out there, and we need to yeah. start putting this out there. It needs to be you know a unified collective front. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know. You know, you and Raina discuss, because I'm mm-hmm. down, so that's okay. all good. Okay. Yeah. I like that. All right. All right. Well, all right, you guys, you have me. a wonderful, wonderful week next week. And, you. Um, you know, I would like to thank my, my listeners. You know, again, I took some time off. I needed some serious self-care and so I was I was gone for a little over a month but I'm mm-hmm. looking at the numbers and you guys were listening and hitting those archives up thank you I love you so much next week black america new deal or raw deal and we're going to talk about the new deal we're going to talk a little bit about the black codes we're going to talk about reconstruction and how we were left out of that as well homesteading so just a number of things that we're going to talk about So thank you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and I appreciate each and every last one of you. 
And we thank Diane Burkholder for joining us today. I thank Raina. You know, that's my that's my partner right there. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Peace out, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.